Hello, Lion Cook Nation. This is Ray DeLucci with the Lion Cook Thoughts Podcast. I first want to say I hope you all are staying safe and, you know, that everything is going well during this time. I know it's crazy for our industry, but as usual, we are strong and we will fight together. So, yeah, I just hope you all are doing well. A couple of announcements before we get into this podcast interview. Number one being the 100th episode of the Lion Cook Thoughts Podcast is coming up and you all have been so integral to the success and the continuous um, improvement of this podcast and of the Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook pages. And I really wanted to share the 100th episode with you all as a community-driven episode. So if you would like to be a part of it, please email me at linecookthoughts@outlook.com or message me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at linecookthoughts. My second announcement is this Saturday, we will be having a live stream cooking demonstration of Pad Thai. Uh, Copper and I and I have uh, partnered to bring you a weekly, I guess, event every week. Um, a chef or a cook in the industry will be sharing their recipes or what have you. And I think this is very important because, you know, I feel as we miss out on service a lot uh, during this time, we need that community and that communal aspect. And so that's what we've been working on. Very exciting to uh, be doing it. And so, yeah, check it out this Saturday and look on the Instagram for more details. Let's talk about my guest today. My guest today is Zuriel Verades Picasso, and he is someone I was very interested in under the Instagram kitchen.zoo. And basically, he is someone that has been following the page for quite some time. I've been following him, and I thought it would be cool to have him on as I've seen him uh, getting some success for the food he's been putting out. A little bit about him, having spent the latter part of the past year providing private dining and catering to the Dallas elite, Chef Z decided it was time for a change of pace. He now owns and operates a pop-up taqueria, Nomad, going around to local breweries, colleges, and community events to compete, represent small business, and independent artists. Through local outreach, cross-promotion, and artist volunteering, the brand continues to grow organically with the help of other like-minded individuals. Running an underground business gives the liberty to create simple and holistic street food. I'm very excited to have him on. I He's had some great success, um, just being featured recently in Texas Monthly. And he's basically a, a, a chef, a cook, what have you, building his own brand and his own business. And, you know, Lion Cook Thoughts, that's what we love here. You know, that's the, those are the stories that we really want to hear is the cooks out there grinding in day, out, day in, day out to build their own businesses and make a name for themselves. And I think he just has an interesting, um, you know, an interesting background. I think his story is really cool. It's kind of like underground type uh, taco uh, business or this pop-up business that he's been running and I just think it's super cool to see him doing it so really hope you all enjoy this podcast um, thank you so much chef for coming on I mean your enthusiasm for cooking and your passion for food uh, was really just like great to see and it was really interesting to talk with you so yeah I really hope you all enjoy this podcast I do hope you all staying safe and just a reminder please leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you really enjoy this podcast because it helps me reach more people and it helps the Lion Cook Nation grow. So thank you all so much. And I really hope you enjoy this episode. And here we go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Howdy. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really good. Really good, Ray. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, very excited to be here today. Of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm excited to chat. Uh, I was just wondering if you wanted to introduce yourself for the audience. That'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is uh, Zuriel Barradas Picasso. I am. A, I was born in Querétaro, Mexico. I'm a local chef here in Dallas, uh, Dallas, Texas. Um, uh, cook, chef, whatever you know you want to call it. I think at the end of the day, we're all just cooks, you know, providing a service. But you know, uh, I've I've got the stripes, you know, as we say in the industry. You know, I don't I don't like to push all of that though, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. Um, what was uh, you know, I want to go back to your origins first before you get into what you're doing. Uh, you're from Mexico. What was it like growing up? In, I mean, did you grow up there uh, most of your childhood? Or like, what was food like for you growing up? And when did you move to Dallas? Um, I was in Mexico for about seven years or so. 
you know, kind of okay. birth up until that, that time or so. So a lot of those first memories, integral memories, kind of those core memories that you have as a child kind of set in there. Um, for me, food was this very big, important part of my childhood. Um, my mom has a lot of brothers and sisters. She comes from a very big family, like 14 or 15 of them. So wow. anytime we had, yeah, <laughs> anytime we had like lunch or dinner, it was a whole ordeal, you know, and, uh, my parents had me very young. So I got to deal with like uncles and aunts that are very young to my age. So they're all, there was like a huge family, like just like a huge array of, you know, the parents being, you know, like in their thirties and then their kids being very young and then their kids having kids. And it was just crazy of all the amount of food that I got to see. Um, I really enjoyed like the markets in Mexico, something that I haven't really, I guess there's farmer's markets in the States, mm. but they're not as readily, they're like once a week and you have to go yeah. to downtown, you know, and in Mexico, it's like the market's just everywhere. That's just El Mercado. So uh, I really miss walking around and being like, what does that taste like? You know, and the little stand person just cuts into the fruit and hands it to you. They're like, you tell me, <laughs> you know, like you tell me what this harvest tastes like. Oh, it's really good because of this and this and this and that. And everything's so bright and vibrant. And from a very young age, I, I was taught to understand where my food came from. And I kind of saw that disconnect when I moved to the States. Because growing up in like the markets, you see like the goats and the chickens when you get there. And then you see them kind of slaughtered and hung up. And then you get to the end of the market and they're like eating barbacoa tacos and chicken tacos. So you're like, your brain kind of pieces it together as you make it to the <laughs> end of the of the day that like, okay, this just got brought in today. This was slaughtered today or it was slaughtered yesterday and it was dry aged and like now we're eating it. It was all very like full circle for me. And, uh, yeah. and then I kind of saw this disconnect where there's like big grocery stores and big brands where – you know, when we moved to the States, it was different because there weren't markets. You know, we had to go to the grocery store. Not that we didn't have grocery stores in Mexico. I mean, it's it's obviously civilized. You know, they have all that stuff. It was just, it was more normal to go to the market. So going to grocery stores was like weird because everything was packaged. Everything came in a box. Everything came in plastic wrap. Everything came from some ranch that you never met, from some farm that you would never, ever actually see. And that was also very strange, not to fast forward too much, but kind of learning about it when you go to school, like about CAFOs, you know, it's, there aren't a hundred thousand ranches, you know, there's like five of them, you know, it's very scary yeah. to think about. But yeah, um, I really loved food as a kid. I was, um, I was a bit on like the chunkier side. I really <laughs> loved food, you know, to like eat fresh bananas and guavas and I would eat everything as a kid. And then at a certain point, I suppose I got really picky, like extra picky. And that's really? when my parents started to tell me, yeah, they were like, well, chefs eat everything. How are you going to be a chef if you don't eat this and this and that? Lo and behold, the chefs are the pickiest MFers. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. They, they, they don't want to eat this. They don't want to eat that. It's, and it's not even picky. It's like bougie eating, but they're very selective Yeah. <laughs> over like what is bougie and when they like stoop down to like, you know, like, oh, I'm just going to eat like Kraft Mac and cheese, which is pretty decent. You know, they, they have to go for like the worst possible option. They're like, I'm going to eat yeah. really well or I'm going to eat a whole bag of Doritos. Like, so it just, it always made me laugh hearing that from my parents growing up. Um, uh, yeah. Growing up though, they, uh, like my mom, uh, she hated cooking because she always had to cook for like her entire family. So for her, it was like this like chore this sort of slave labor to have to cook for 15 siblings. So growing up, it was, she'd get recipes from her friends. And I remember one day she made like chicken a la ketchup or something. It was awful. <laughs> it was so <laughs> bad, you know, and it was these like craft box recipes and stuff. And, and I just did not enjoy it. You know, I, I remember my parents wouldn't let me leave the table as a kid. They're mm -hmm. like, if you don't finish eating, you can't leave. You yeah, know, and classic. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I was real testy about it. I'd be like, fine, I'll just sleep here. They're like, no, you won't. I was like, oh, watch me. <laughs> so I would sleep at the dinner table like two, three times a week, you know, and, and it didn't make sense to them. You know, they're like, well, it's good food and it's wholesome and it's this and that. And I guess even then I just knew that it wasn't, you know. I, uh, okay. I just, you know, even then I just, I kind of knew that it wasn't all that good for me, you know, because it was like coming in cans and it was like 
overcooked pasta and like you know you're cooking the nutrients out of it but you know i'm not gonna say my parents you know didn't do the best they could you know it was, it's one of those things where if you don't know you just don't know you know yeah, later you on you realize that for exactly exactly like my my body knew that it kind of like missed those like natural ingredients from like my childhood and then not having a lot of natural things kind of like derailed me a bit and i'm not gonna say it contributed to like my weight gain but you know, I felt comfort in McDonald's chicken nuggets where, like, I didn't in, like, my mom's not-so-good cooking. <laughs> She's going to listen to this and, like, give me so much crap. <laughs> uh, hey, I mean, everyone's got uh, different stories. I mean, not every chef absolutely. has the, um, you know, the story of cooking, you know, with their family. Like, other times, like, I've had all sorts of people on the podcast. Some people are a lot like you where they weren't satisfied with the food they had growing up and they went on and, you know, chased the... Yeah food they wanted to see is the reality of being a chef you kind of you know you, you start at a certain point everyone starts differently but at the end we're all looking for that really good food that we want to eat so absolutely you know, different paths absolutely. yeah i will say that whether like my mom likes to cook or not she is a pretty good cook and i did learn from her like this sense of community that i always mm. kind of push with my food i did learn that from like my mom's family from my dad like just always having dinner time whether it was good mm-hmm. dinner or not wasn't the question. It was that like we all sat down for dinner or when yeah. it was time to come together, we all came together as a family or if the neighbor was over or if like I had a friend over, it's like invite your friend for dinner, have your friend stay. You know, it was like it's the hospitality thing that was very much so like ingrained in my brain as as it always goes hand in hand with food. You know, one can't be without the other because Cooking is a very selfless act. You know, you're doing all of this for this tiny thing that's going to get destroyed and turn into crap, quite literally. You know, but it's that satisfaction. It's that that endless passion for the little plate that you're about to put out to someone because they're going to smile and it's going to do them well. And they're going to feel nourished at the end of the day, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree. I think that sense of community is something that I... I, I carry with me because my mom was the same way where it was like, if you have friends over, we'll have them stay for dinner. I'm going to cook dinner. And, you know, it's that idea of people around the table having food. And it's even more so like even during these times, like it's kind of sad that that's not a reality right now. But um, I think that right for me, that inspired it's me hard. a lot until why I love cooking. Yeah. Now it's very hard. And I would like to ask you like how you've been doing during this time. You know, this is a pretty, uh, I mean, how, first off, I mean, you're pretty – are you new in the industry? What's your – like, like how many years okay, have you been so, in the industry? Uh, um, so I went to culinary school right when I got out of high school, about 17, okay. 18. And I went to uh, Cordon Bleu in Dallas, you know, before they all got shut down and whatever fiascos they had. Um, I was cooking in kitchens and basically like fast food, fast casual since I was about 14 or 15. So mm. I had always wanted to be a chef as a kid. You know, I, but it was always like talked down to, it's like, you're not going to make money. You're going to be on your feet all day. The typical, you know, you're going to have cuts, you're going to have burns. Your social life is going to be ruined. They're all alcoholics. They're all drug, whatever, you know, the whole spiel. And I was like, I don't know. Like I grew up, you know, watching like Rick Bayless on like PBS. And I was like, that's so cool how he like loves my culture and he's foreign. And like, that's what I loved about chefs that they would take mm-hmm. all these foreign cultures and kind of just bring it together. There was, there were no qualms in like kitchens. There was, there is a lot of qualms and racism and bigotry and stuff. But like for me, it, it, that didn't exist in a kitchen quite yet as a kid. Yeah. So I wanted to do that. And then people kept telling me, Oh, you're not going to make money. Oh, it's not schooled. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll be a lawyer. <laughs> and, and just, okay. just and now I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, I was like, no, too much school. I really just, I like the, the, the chef life. So I mm-hmm. started in kitchens. I like worked at Subway for a while. I was like a manager there. I worked at like La Madeline's, just basic fast casual. And then I got myself into fine dining at like a steakhouse in Dallas, went to culinary school, worked my way through it. Then I staged, or not staged, I interned at, or externed at um, at a really nice uh, country club, or like a men's okay. club here in uh, in Dallas. And that was kind of my, like, it was really cool because I got to work with those crazy ingredients. And it was finally this world where I got to understand everything, where I could say mise en place and people understood it. 
So culinary <laughs> school was a great, great, great experience for me. You know, I, I wasn't a big fan of school. I was kind of always skipping and kind of doing my own thing with my friends. And it wasn't that I didn't like to learn. I just didn't like the structure of it. And I like that at culinary school, the professors teach you like an adult. You're an adult, basically. Yeah. So, you know, it's like show up or don't like you're going to learn this and everything that you put in, you're going to get out. And I like the results of that in a kitchen like environment that if I don't learn this, I'm going to mess my knife cuts up. If I don't study this, I'm not going to be able to cook this properly. If I don't cook it properly, I'm wasting money. If I waste money, it cuts into my food cost. If it cuts into my food cost, like everything is directly related and there's a big chain that it affects. And I really loved seeing that. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I wanted, I would like to ask you because – yeah, yeah, it's mixed reviews on whether or not you should go to culinary school. I'm sure you know this. Sure. Um, yeah. And so, like, what, like that, going off that idea, because uh, obviously I went to culinary school, but I see the argument against yeah. it. But if someone was like really still invested in going, what I mean, besides what you said, what are some other positives you think you got from going to a place that had the foundation to teach you how to be a chef or at least set you yeah. up to run a restaurant? Um, one it it really gave me a a stepping stone to like a better job per se. It, it kind of really, they really helped me find a job that was like higher fine dining rather than just like going to the industry and work at like Fuddruckers or going to the industry and work at like Hulahan, you know, just some like random chain restaurant. They really helped me with that. I really appreciated that. It kind of gave me the structure that I needed. It, 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 it pointed me in the right direction. You know, there were some things that it's like, okay, this is kind of boring or like, Oh, I'm probably not going to use this, but I have used it. You know, maybe I didn't read every single book, you know, I finished and I sold my books back to the school, you know, the ones that I didn't like, but I, I learned so much control. I learned like that little tip of the iceberg that you need to get into the industry. I learned that they're in a safe space, you know, where, Oh, excuse me. Um, when in like a professional kitchen, you know this, it can be very tough. You'll get yelled mm. out. You'll people are crying sometimes. Everything's hot. And if you're if you if you're new to that and you're not kind of used to the um, the abuse, you know, or you're not like a masochistic sort of person already, it kind of it's very hard to get into it. You know, and when you have this kind of like background knowledge on how to like, hey, if you do this and keep your head down, this won't affect you as much. Or if you have this prior knowledge, you know, you'll know how to get around. If you know this vernacular, you're not going to get teased as much. You know, like you're still a green thumb when you get out of culinary school. Like I very much knew that. I didn't walk out of there like I'm a chef. Like, oh, no. I knew that it was like my first stepping stone to being a cook, to being a chef, to being in the, in the industry. You know, I walked out very humble because I knew that there's some people in there that have already been in the industry for many years. There are some people in there that are coming from the army. There are some people in there that have other careers, you know, that have been engineers, that have been doctors, and they just, they're doing something else with their lives. So it's, I learned a lot from all of these people and going in there very young, my class, all my classmates were in their thirties. So they were all a good 10, 15 years older than me. Yeah. So it wasn't like, oh, hey, college, party, friends, drinking. It was like, oh, I have to learn how to be an adult very quickly. You know, it wasn't this whole like I get to be 18 and like romp spring. Like, no, it was it was very much so just, hey, like you can't say that or like that's going to offend people or like this is how a kitchen works and you got to work and you got to do this. So I very much so enjoyed that getting that that safe space to learn everything and all of that knowledge that's there, the library, the, the, the knife skills class, like you could just hang out in school all day and chop stuff. And it was awesome with nobody berating you or nobody being like, Oh, you're wasting money. Like you already paid for it. Cut all the potatoes you want, you know, make all the baguettes that you want to this day. If I can't sleep, I make baguettes in the middle of the night because it's just flour and water. It's so easy, you know, but that's something that I learned in culinary school. I don't bake bread for anybody else. I don't bake bread for my business, but it calms me. It was something relaxing because when I got stressed out at school, I would just go to the bread baking room and bake baguettes because they could always use baguettes. They're like, if you're busy, if you want to practice, make baguettes. We'll keep using them. So 
I really enjoyed culinary school. Um, yeah, sure, you're going to get teased for going, but I'm going to be honest. I've had corporate jobs where because I went to culinary school, I got that extra dollar. I got that sous yeah. chef position. You know, there were people that were older than me with a little bit more experience, but corporate likes to see that. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are like, I'm never going to work corporate. Sure, man, whatever. Insurance is nice, though. <laughs> you know, <laughs> having dental is nice. You know, as, yeah. as, you know, service industry people, we know that it doesn't come cheap and it doesn't come easy to have insurance with a lot of restaurants. So, yeah. you know, corporate sometimes is the way to go when you start getting a little bit older or you have kids or you have a mortgage. You know, a lot of friends of mine, they, you know, they I, I tell them that you're like, oh, you're not cooking anymore. Where was your avant-garde stuff? You know, they're like, well, I don't do that anymore, but like, I'm still a chef. Of course, you're still a chef. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you, there are different stages of chefdom different stages of life you know yeah and i think i mean especially after this i think you're gonna see a lot more even smaller businesses like try to enter that space of healthcare and insurance and taking care of cooks. absolutely and, i mean that's a different conversation obviously but um yeah sure. no, i just want to you know i i think I, I like where you're going with like you know it gives you the structure because i think that's what it did for me and it does cut out a lot of the um i would say a lot of the bs you know culinary school yeah that you kind of have in your mind definitely um yeah but i think it's good but um yeah i wanted to move forward with uh kind of what you're doing now and you know i definitely. Uh, i guess the, the reason i uh got excited was um i've been watching you like, with your work with your pop-ups and really just wanted to get into like you know how you've been doing during this how you kind of grown this pop-up uh that you've been doing you know you got rec- recognized by uh texas monthly um you thank know you, thank and you. i just wanted to kind of uh chat about that so when so w- i guess how did you get into the position you're in now and what is it if you could share what you're exactly doing with people that'd be great sure um so a little like quick little like into that um after culinary, I did Austin, Texas for about six years. And there I kind of worked my way up in fine dining and all this sort of stuff. And um, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I moved back to Dallas. I hadn't seen my family in a very long time. I hadn't seen my younger brother, who means the world to me, in a very long time. I, uh, I was in that place where I was just all ego. I had forgotten why I was doing what I was doing. And I was doing it for everyone else. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was kind of like the, you know, the hero doesn't feel fulfilled to like that. He has that homecoming. So I, you know, I came home, I, you know, rekindled the relationship with my family, with some old friends, with my brother. And I just kind of thought, you know, I was looking for jobs in Dallas and I just thought like, dude, I just want to do my own thing. You know, like I, I know I make good food, you know, like a lot of people can say they're good cooks. A lot of people say they're great chefs. Like it takes that confidence, you know, that fine line between confidence and arrogance that makes a great chef. And I know my food is good, you know, and I was tired of people telling me that and me not kind of reaping the rewards after being in the industry for a little over a decade, you know? So I just said, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing. You know, I started, Mm -hmm. you know, calling people around. I started doing private dining and private catering. So small parties, small events, uh, cooking lunches, doing kind of like, uh, what are the, excuse me, they called uh, the, like, uh, like meal kits, kind of like for people that work out or uh, people that are on diets. Excuse me. So Mm -hmm. I I did that for a little bit. And then uh, I got the thought of, going up to the university uh, the of UNT uh, up here in North Texas and just doing like a taco stand, you know, I was like, dude, I, <laughs> I never wanted to be like a Mexican making Mexican food just because I was like, oh, of course, I'm just going to be another taco guy and blah, blah, blah. Cause in my head, you know, I had these dreams of going to New York and then going to Spain and doing the Michelin thing and just being like all of this fine dining. And that's where I was going. And then after a minute, I was just like, I'm too much ego. I'm all ego. I need to take a step out of this. And I didn't know if I was going to come back to this, to like the culinary industry. I didn't know what I was doing for a couple of months. I just traveled and ate. And then I kind of was rekindled my love for it. And I just decided that, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to go all in on this taco thing. I'm going to do pop-ups. I see other chefs doing it. I see it going on in like England. I see it going on in New York and LA, like I was like, all right, let's do it. Let's see what we got to do. So I started doing pop-up taco stands at the university. 
real simple. You know, I, I decided no gimmicks. I didn't spring for ads on Facebook, Instagram, nothing. I just started posting. And I got my friend who goes to college there. Uh, my brother goes to college. I was like, post on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook. Just started like a media fire, you know. And um, I started offering just dollar tacos right off of the Fry Street, which is their, the college bar street. So, you know, there's a bunch of college kids getting drunk and coming off of the strip at 1 a.m. And they're hungry, but half the things are closed. And then the other half of the things are loaded with people. I'm selling dollar tacos out the back of some frat house. And, uh, you know, we started getting popularity. People would show up and they're like, I don't have any money. Or, oh, that's expensive. Okay, share me on all your social media handles and I'll give you a free meal. (laughs) You know, so I made all these college kids advertise for me. You know, mm-hmm. and then I kept growing. And then when are you coming back? Where are you going to be? Oh, are you going to be at this house party? Oh, are you going to be at this uh, this house show? It's a very popular thing, like a house show. There's just like a bunch of bands and they play in a house and, you know, college. But yeah, so I kept doing that. And then I, I was I did it out of my dad's for a little bit. Um, and I kind of started expanding, doing it out of like my friend's apartments and my friend's houses. Like, I'll do it in your backyard and, you know, like we'll run like driveway like through the alley or we'll do it out of my friend's apartment once we did it. And then we had like a pulley system with a basket because it had a gate code and we didn't want to give out the gate code. So we just set up a pulley system on the balcony and we had people order their their order through DM and they would put money in a basket. Then we would lower it to go box with their food. Like it (laughs) was for lack of a better term, we were like, we were trapping tacos, you know, it was, (laughs) it was crazy. I had all these people just running out food and, it kept growing and it kept growing and, you know, I just, I thought, I started seeing these other pop-ups in the Dallas area um, and they all work at breweries. Breweries have become a very, very big thing here in Dallas and Texas. Um, we love our local beers, but they just began able to can and sell their beers last September, I believe. Okay. So since then, it's been blowing up because before you couldn't get your craft beer unless you bought it from like Whole Foods or something. You know, you had to go somewhere for specific. Even if your favorite brewery was down the street, they couldn't sell their beer. So after they were able to sell their beer to go, this just opted for like a ton of foot traffic everywhere. So I started working with breweries, just kind of going in, being like, hey, like I sell tacos. Here's my gimmick. You know, like I don't want to do this and this and that. It's a small menu. And, you know, they ate it up. They loved it. You know, they were like, oh, for sure. There's a lot of taco vendors in Dallas, man. There's there's a lot, you know. Um, so yeah. it was, it's like, oh, well, we already have taco vendors or we'll, we'll see. We'll put you on rotation. So it's kind of busting into that little niche. And then my gimmick was that I didn't want to do a gimmick. So I was like, all right, we're not going to do the the fufu tables and the the mariachi hats and the you know, the little shakers that look like Frida Kahlo. Like, I was like, no, we're not doing any of that. I was like, we are, or I was like, we're all punk skaters. We all grew up in Dallas. Like, we all love graffiti. So one of my (laughs) homies, who's a graffiti artist, I was like, I want you to paint our sign. Oh, would you want me to make it all nice? No, I want you to, like, tag the sign. So our board, (laughs) our menu board, is, like, this graffitied up sign that we always mess with. Um, you know, we wear t-shirts for like whenever we work half the time, they're all like brands that we all love and encourage. So it's like our friends, Mm -hmm. uh, streetwear brands, you know, we try to keep it very local. I try to, when people kind of see everything going on, they're like, so what's, what's the gimmick? You know, it's like, well, I'm like a classically French trained chef with a Mexican background that has a West coast vibe. Like (laughs) I don't know how to explain it. You know, it's, it's very, it's, it's street food, you know, and I don't want people to think it's too bougie. You know, I want them to be like, look, these are the streets and these are the, we're from the streets and we're making this, but it's all very holistic. It's all like organic. It's all like, we try to do most of our shopping at like the Frisco fresh market or at the Dallas farmers market, you know, we try to go yeah. to like the Sprouts and Whole Foods, you know, whenever we can to get things. It's 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 hard to find a place that serves street food that isn't going to make you feel something kind of weird sometimes. You know, people will be like, oh, yeah. I ate there and I got sick. You know, a lot of people don't report food poisoning because they don't know. They're like, oh, it's an upset tummy. Well, that's technically food poisoning. You know, um, yeah, I. uh so I just, I try to keep all of that super, super straight and, and, you know, it's, it's been working. It's been working. I, 
I I have suffered through the pandemic because the gimmick was having this, you know, tattooed chef, you know, having a beer with you, making you tacos. So you feel like you're at my house at a cookout. You know, yeah. it's a very friendly approach to it all. But then you eat the food and you're like, whoa, you know, that's what everyone else says. You know, like I can't talk up my own food, uh, but <laughs> You know, we, we kind of lost out on that because a lot of places, a lot of our brewery partners, we, we can't work inside. You know, we have to be outside. And Dallas uh, food, uh, foods like safe laws and all this stuff, you can't cook outside. You can only like steam or boil things. That's why hot dog carts are a thing. Okay. Um, and, and then the next upgrade to that would be like a whole food truck. But because we don't have a food truck right now, that's kind of like out of the way. That's like a big investment for, you know, something that might die down in a couple of months. Um, but yeah, the pop-up scene is, it's on and popping, man. I've really enjoyed it. I really love that I can, I get to make food and I don't have to mod things. <laughs> like, okay. you know, I'm sure there's, yeah, like that was, I guess, like one of my biggest pet peeves is, creating a special for you know the bar or like the restaurant that i worked at and and then getting it back with like all these mods like take this out add yeah. this, take the and it's like dude like it's like i'll mod a cheeseburger sure you know like mid-rare <laughs> provolone no tomato extra sauce whatever but then it's like a special like this has been curated you know so so that's how i treat my menu like everything is a certain way for a reason you know, like people, oh, is it spicy? No, but like the salsas are definitely spicy. And all the salsas yeah. that I serve are hot. They're all really hot, you know, but people enjoy that. You know, some people, you know, my family says, oh, it's, it's too hot for, for white people. And I just laugh. And I'm like, if they <laughs> like tacos, they're going to like it hot. You know, that's hot. That's how yeah. it's supposed to be. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I'm getting a little off track. <laughs> No, you're good. No, man. It's no, it's you you tell you're passionate about what you do and it's really cool to hear. What um so I mean, you know, I wanna go over the taco that got featured obviously in Texas monthly and then kinda just get a general idea of what's on the menu. Or what or I guess what are some sure. uh, dishes you've been proud of making. Sure. Um so we got featured in Texas Monthly by uh Taco Trail. He is uh, kind of like the number one authority on tacos right now in the United States. He just put out a book called American Tacos. Great book. Um, but he, he's he been kind of trying to catch me at a pop-up for a while. And then he finally did when we were at uh, one of our breweries. And it's a Tacos al Vapor. So because I had to change our logistical uh way that we kind of like our logistics i couldn't bring the flat top out and i couldn't create tacos to order but i didn't want to close down because yeah i know that i might get like i might get a little bit of slack for this you know but i i do love everybody on the planet i'm a big humanitarian i do everything that i can for the community whenever i can but in my world in my little bubble right now like i'm safe enough to go outside and not get sick and I think that this is what I need to do for my community is like yeah. not close because there are people that kind of depend on going out to eat or a little bit of entertainment just to kind of make it through the day. Yeah, man. you know, no, I totally that being that, where you're coming from. Yeah. that being said, you know, I, I refuse to close my doors. I changed the menu and I kind of cut the prices. So tacos mm -hmm. al vapor or tacos de canasta, as they're formerly known in Mexico, are tacos made of guisados. So like puerco and salsa verde, so like pork and potatoes in green salsa. Yeah. Or chicken and rice in like adobo sauce. Uh, basically more like, more composed dishes. Those like dishes that you see in like mole or like tikka masala, you know, with the rice and stuff. So those sort of dishes, but in tacos, and then individually all wrapped up. And then they typically fry them. They kind of put hot oil over the top of the basket in Mexico so that they get like a little bit of crispy, warm, greasy feel on the way to the location that you're selling them at. Yeah. Um, because I didn't want to provide a greasy taco. I just um, – I created the tacos and then I rubbed them in a beef tallow and then uh, avocado fat for the vegetarian ones because I also do vegetarian vegan options. Okay. 
So that kind of added that nice creamy texture to the tortilla so it wouldn't be broken up and broken down by the time that people got it. So we took that, we individually wrapped them all, we took lava rocks and bricks, put them in the oven at 550 for about an hour or two, wrap those in uh, towels, and then we put those in a cooler. So we created a hot box and to, to keep the tacos hot. Mm-hmm. And that's what we served uh, that day for the Taco Monthly. We served puerco and salsa verde, which was pork, potatoes, and green salsa. Arroz con pollo, which is rice, uh, carrots, and chicken. Uh, I do an adobo marinated chicken thigh okay. that we char off uh, rare, and then we slice up, and then when we cook it on the flat top that's when it finishes cooking uh i like to par my chicken just because i don't want it to get dry and but i do want that char and that smoky flavor on the outside yeah um yeah we also did uh papas con rajas which is potatoes and poblanos so you roast the poblanos you skin them you peel them you know you take the seeds out julienne them mash that up with a little potato uh, and that was a vegetarian dish because I didn't add butter. I might have added butter, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Might have been vegetarian, not vegan. And then I did uh, – there's this awesome farm here in Dallas, Texas Fungus. Okay. And they uh, they had a huge stock when this all happened of mushrooms, and they were giving away mushrooms to local chefs, cooks, bars, restaurants. So I went by there, grabbed a couple pounds of mushrooms, and I thought that was a great way to feature them. And to kind of help them get rid of some of their overstock, you know, because all of a sudden nobody was buying stuff and everything closed down. So I was like, cool. So I got these amazing lion's mane mushrooms, oyster mushrooms, golden oyster mushrooms. So I grilled those, gave them a little bit of smoke, that little char, uh, a little black bean, little corn. And we served those as like a specialty taco. So that was super cool getting to like feature them and kind of giving them like a little promotion. So those were our Texas monthly tacos. Um, And those are tacos al vapor. Typically, we serve tacos estilo de efe. So those are the like ones that people typically know, which Mm. are like the cilantro, onion, lime. Um, I do carnitas. That's our like OG taco. That's always on the menu. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah, because I think it's amazing. You know, it took – it was one of those things where like I tried like seven different ways to make this thing. You know, like (laughs) – Every different way. I was like, I'm going to do old school and I'm going to like do like a pit in the backyard and I'm going to do this just like all OG. The pit thing is so much work in Texas. The clay, there's like clay soil here. It is awful. (laughs) (laughs) Like it just wasn't feasible to be doing this for service like every couple of days. Yeah. And then I was like, well, I'm going to do this on the smoker and I'm going to grill this. And then, you know, the smoker, I didn't take into account how much wood goes into that to smoke a bunch of pork butt you know and how many hours i'm sitting out there and yeah (laughs) and i i'm not a big i love barbecue but i'm not like a i'm not like a pit master you know like i dabble i make barbecue i have a smoker i love it but i'm by no means will i ever have like a whole smoked menu yeah um but uh you know so i tried all these different ways and then you know i just like all right i'm going og so i did my research and in mexico they take copper pots and they confit the pork so that's very French. You know, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, <laughs> change, your, change your life. And, there. you know, because everyone. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and then uh, I just kind of was like, OK, so let's let's do it. You know, so I got a bunch of lard, uh, you know, some you know, garlic, onions, some fruits, you know, some spices, a little Mexican Coke. And we just confit the entire pork shoulder. You know, I like to sear it off and then I confit it and then it's it's amazing. It turns out so, so, so juicy. And and that's kind of where I get the whole like, well, it's I'm using French techniques in a very traditional Mexican, you know, dish or most of them. And, you know, I'm serving it in a way that would be easily accepted, you know, in the from a food truck, you know, or from a fine dining restaurant, if it's just served the right way, you know, some edible flowers and like micro cilantro. <laughs> but I, uh, you know, I took that very, very old school way. You know, I like to do things the right way. If I can't do it the right way, I, I kind of avoid putting it on the menu. You know, I've had a lot of people ask me to do this or that. Uh, for example, al pastor, you know, the, the hero rotating red meat that they do. Um, because I don't have a hero, 
I can't recreate that perfect bite that people are wanting. So for me, it's like, I can't cop out and do it a different way. You know, it's, it's one of those things where like how authentic is authentic. Yeah. Is it authentic? If you know, yeah, no, I totally, I totally understand. It's been cool though to kind of like hear your yeah. story and kind of see, you know, your thought process and how you do things. It does seem like that, you know, it seems like you stay true to yourself and what you want to do. And I think that's the most important thing, you know, being true to yourself and just like trying Definitely. to figure out what it is exactly, um, you know, you want to cook as a chef and what you think people will enjoy. I, I think that is what you just yeah. keep in mind. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, oh, another dish I just remembered real quick off the top of my head, if I may. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I did a bulgogi, like Korean barbecue taco. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's there's a big, you know, like uh, Southeast Asian population, you know, Korean population in, in Dallas, you know. And I was kind of like, ooh, is this toe stepping? And, you know, I took a step back. I was like, no, I'm going to do this all, all right, you know. So yeah. I, I, like, did everything all old school, you know, and I got, like, I put Japanese mayo on it. I'm like sure I'm bastardizing their dish. I was like, I'm going to make QP and put Japanese mayo on a Korean barbecue taco at a Mexican food stand. <laughs> like, you know, but I, um, I actually won a competition with that, you know, really? uh, like it was like me versus this other chef in Dallas. Yeah. And, and everyone was like, this tacos, it's, it was very pretty looking. <laughs> it definitely was very bougie looking, Yeah, but the flavors were all there. That's and good. instead of using brown sugar, I used, Piloncillo, which is sugarcane, like raw sugarcane from Mexico. Yeah. And that was kind of my way of putting my culture spin on it. You know, I was like, this is better than brown sugar. This <laughs> is going to caramelize way heavier, you know. So I I love to take other dishes and respect them as much as I can. And then being like, cool, let me just tweak it and try to make it better for me or make it my dish. Okay. But yeah, because I mean, no dish belongs to anybody, you know, it's just kind of what can you do to it? What can you do to add to that dish and like bring it up to the next level? Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, like you said, no dish belongs to anyone. It's really up to your interpretation. As long as you're being, as long as you're like, like you said, true to yourself and you're respectful of what you're cooking. I mean, like it seems like you're very aware and very conscious of how things may look. And, you know, it's cool to have the confidence to kind of try new things. Um, I did want to ask you though. I yeah. mean, like, so like going forward. I mean, obviously you've ha- you were having a lot of success, and I hope you do have more, like even more success during this. How do you see your? Um, I mean, it's very interesting to be like a someone who does pop ups or goes from here or there, and then now we're living in a world where literally no one, you know, like people aren't going anywhere right now. Um, right. And as we kind of open up, as we get through this, I mean, would you see yourself delivering more, or do you like? How, I guess how do you see your business model? Uh, being affected in like a year and how it's like in terms of how this is going to look. Hmm. Um, that's a tough one. Man. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I mean, would you, I mean, I, I, I'm sure uh, like people no, no, come no, yeah. out, but like, I, would you ever consider delivering or like, is that something you would want to do? I, or I guess I just want to know, like from you as a business, I owner, guess, it would be interesting to hear what your thoughts are. I guess the delivery. Okay. So, Here's my little beef with with delivery. I guess I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I wouldn't do delivery. Mm-hmm. I just all of these third party companies are um are very okay with gouging small business owners like myself. Yeah. Um I'm not sure if you've kind of looked into the numbers, if you've spoken to anybody that kind of like uses you know those big ones that you know like Grubhub and DoorDash or Uber Eats and Favor and all that stuff, you know they they have pretty astronomical charges and, you know, the, the small business owners like myself, we're not making much money off of those things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, whenever they do promotions, it seems like you're helping the small business, but that small business is having to foot that bill to later get some sort of recompense, which isn't going to be worth it to them. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's hard for me to like, in that sense, you know, I, if I did delivery, if, if we were going that route. You know, like, let's just finish on that. Like, I don't like those third party companies. I think they could be better. I think they should be doing more for the smaller businesses than they are doing. Yeah. But anyways, if I were to do delivery, I would not use a third party company. Okay. Um, I, I would like to have my own, my own delivery drivers. And with that comes a whole nother series of headaches. Yeah. The insurance, you know, the, the policies, all that sort of stuff. Um, 
because I, it's very much so about the integrity of the integrity of the food for me. Yeah. If, if you make the decision to, to order food, the first thing that, that, I mean, the first thing that I think is what state is the food going to arrive in? I know it's going to take a lot longer for me to order it and get it delivered than it would take me just to drive there, you know? So that's, that's one thing I, I have to like very much think that out is like, is my time really not worth that? Or like, am I just delivering this? Like if it's like, Oh, I'm doing, you know, my friend a favor, I'm going to get him lunch. All right, cool. Like that's fine. But then it's, you know, the integrity of the food. And then is that person really care about it? And does that, how does that speak to, to your brand or my brand, you know, or anybody's brand, you know, on a deeper level, you know, cause at the end of the day, if your food doesn't come in right, you're going to complain. And that driver is just going to be like, Oh, sorry, bro. Yeah. My bad. Peace, homie. You know, he's going to hop back into his sedan and go to his next, you know, get pinged to the next location. And you're going to be on customer support with, you know, Steven or Larry or whoever in Idaho. And he's just going to be like, oh, yeah, sorry. Here's your money back. <laughs> cool. Like it's it's like money's just money. You know what I mean? I think from like like people like us in an industry where like money isn't like the most important thing. I understand it is to a lot of people, but like people that have like us that have made the decision to stay in this industry and kind of wholeheartedly accept it have realized that money isn't everything. Yeah. So getting my money back is like, okay, cool. But like, what about those two hours that I wasted? What about this meal that I no longer get to enjoy? What if this was date night? What if you've ruined my girlfriend's meal? You know, what if like it didn't make it on time and now they can't eat, you know, like there's all these factors that I don't really like about delivery, mm-hmm. especially when I guess growing up, like to me, like going to a restaurant was always like an experience. Yeah. You know, if we got delivery, it was like pizza or Chinese. And like, that was it. You know, it was like, it's expected to be delivery. If we went out to eat, it was like the whole nine yards, you know, it's like we go out to eat and I want the server to serve me. And like, I want my dishes to be taken away, you know, and I want to feel good about myself after I eat. Um, yeah yeah no i um does that answer the question or does that that's kind of like i kind of like pussyfooted around for a minute no it's interesting i'm just no i just i like just i mean i totally get what you're saying about delivery um in terms of the third-party companies uh you know that's another podcast episode but um no i totally agree i totally um think yeah i'm just like wondering what you're like how you're managing through this all because i know it's tough i mean I'm sure you're still getting people coming to you and like, you know, I wish you the best. Yeah, it, thank but, you. You know, I, I do hope you get to continue to do what you do. Like, it's just, it's scary for me that like you were talking about in the beginning, the community, the feeling of community. I don't want to lose that. And so I really hope that people like you are able to like continue going strong through all this. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely tried to like stay out. Um, if when I'm not working right now, I've, um, I've been doing like volunteer work with other local chefs and, you know, trying to like feed other people. So you know, I don't have money to donate, you know, but I have two hands and I'm really good at what I do. So if I find that as long as I'm doing something in the industry, like it's all going to kind of cycle back around, you know, like sure, my business might not be doing so great right now with everything. And, you know, we've reduced our days, you know, to like two a week. But with all this other stuff that I'm doing, I think that, you know, it's going to it's just going to open more doors in different directions. You know, like when, when yeah. one door closes, yeah. you know, like a window opens, you know, and like bust through that window, homie, like get out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well awesome. Well, I'm glad to, you glad to hear that you're the optimistic to it. And I, you know, I said, wish you the best. Yeah. Um, but yeah, cool, man. Um, well, you know, thank you for sharing all that. Thank you for sharing your story. And like I said, I do hope that you're able to continue going on through this. Um, you know, I, you know, really honored to have you on the show. I thank really you. Enjoyed talking Dude, it's an absolute pleasure. I know you've, <laughs> thank you. I mean, I know you've been listening for a while and, you know, I'd like to ask you, you know, now that you are on the, you've been on the show and, uh, you know, you've been a part of this, what does it mean for you to be a part of the line cook nation, the group of cook chefs and food service workers who are trying to learn, connect and grow with each other? Like, I love the industry for what it is. You know, I love how we can kind of be kids in our industry, but I also think that it's very important for us to, to like to wake up you know to wake up and touch on these hard to speak topics and to to motivate each other 
you know, because if we motivate each other, we're all we're all natural born leaders. You know, the ones, you know, those of us that have made it to like that chef, you know, rank that like leader position. We're all we all have that gift. So why not yeah. use it? You know, why not instill that into the next community, into the next people, into the people that are eating our food so that they take that home and they kind of like push that, you know, rather than that old brigade of yelling and demeaning and only I have the power. Like, no, let's spread all of this, you know, this at the end of the day, we all wanted to do this to serve somebody, you know, so why not, you know, keep that in mind every single day we wake up and put that coat on. Every day that, yeah. you know, we, our legs hurt, you know what I mean? And our back is aching, you know, just be like, I chose to do this, you know, like I'm happy to do this. It's, it's another day tomorrow and like, it's going to be okay, you know, and call your homie Ray, you know what I mean? Or like my DMs are always open. DM me, you know what I mean? Call me. Like I'm always down to talk to any culinary bartender server or whatever, you know, that includes anybody, anybody that ever wants to talk and just be like, yo, I had a bad day. I'm like, cool. Let's shoot the shit. Yeah. Oh, and also, yeah, it's important. Well, that and, uh, yeah, it is important. Uh, so yeah, feel free to, you know, reach out to either of us. And I don't know if you want to drop your Instagram handle real quick so people can follow you. That'd be cool. Uh, yeah. So my Instagram and Facebook is at kitchen dot Z U S. Uh, so dot kitchen Zeus kitchen dot Zeus. Yeah. Okay. And that's uh, just all my media. Uh, my photographer gets all my cool photos. We do pop-ups, private dining. Uh, we do consulting. We got a couple cool videos on there of us working. So check it out. You know what I mean? But yeah, oh, man. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, yeah, well, I look forward to seeing you be successful in the industry, man. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much. Stay blessed. And um, thank you, man. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. As always, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It means a ton. And what means a ton as well is going and leaving a review on Apple. I mean, that helps me just reach more people. It helps me grow as a podcaster. And yeah, I mean, a lot of you have been supporting me from like day one or the early days. And it just means a lot to see the feedback. And, you know, when I say leave a review, I don't want you to leave five stars. I want you to leave your honest opinion and things that can be worked on or things I can improve on. So feel free to leave that. I do hope you all are staying safe. And yeah, I just really appreciative of everything going on. And it means a ton to have you tune in to another episode.